This episode contains discussions about suicide. If you or someone you love are struggling and have suicidal thoughts, please know you are not alone. Help is available at the National Suicide Hotline, which can be reached by calling 988. Hello and welcome to The Hot Dish, comfort food for rural America. I'm Heidi Heitkamp, the former U.S. Senator from North Dakota. On The Hot Dish, we're bringing you smart conversations about issues and policies that matter most to small towns and rural communities across the United States. My co-host is someone I kind of know. Maybe I've known most, oh, I've known him my his entire life. In fact, I saw him coming home, bundled up, and we said, not another one, Mom, my goodness. But she was so happy because she finally, after five girls, got her boy. The person I'm talking about is my brother, Joel Heikamp, who is currently a very important voice in uh, the upper Midwest. And I'm not kidding about that. He actually spends every day talking to rural Americans in our region. And so I think if anyone has a pulse on what people are thinking and what they're talking about, it's Joel. Welcome, Joel. Hey, Heidi. It's good to be introduced the right way for once. I always have to explain to people that I'm not your nephew, that I'm actually your brother. It's just I'm younger. Uh, And so, you know what? This is going to be fun. Uh, You know, I'm happy to be here. I agree with you, Heidi, you know, that we need to create a better dialogue uh, between rural America and Washington policymakers. You know, it's a problem when we don't see each other for for the humanity. We don't see each other the way we are. And so that's what we hope to do with the podcast is introduce these issues, but also talk about why, why we're seeing this divide. So today we're talking about an issue that is so important. It's important in every part of the country. But when you look at the statistics, we know we have a very, very big problem in behavior and mental health in rural America. Well, it's out there, Heidi. Uh, There's no question about that. I'm glad we're talking about it because, you know, recently I had the opportunity to be on the honor flight uh, where there's a lot of veterans and a lot of Vietnam veterans And that isn't really an era that's willing to talk about mental health issues normally, or at least you wouldn't think they are. A ton of those individuals that I flew with and that had a chance to see D.C. for the first time ever in their life, the very capital that they defended, those individuals were talking about PTSD. They were talking about how they sought help and how it almost cost them their their wife and their family. And so it's out there. People are talking about it, and I'm really excited for us to do that today, the opportunity just to have a conversation about how the rural area is faced with the same thing so many other areas are. If we're going to take down stigma, if we're going to really remove stigma, we have to have support. And you know and I know, Joel, that that's not always true in rural America. And so that's why it's so important, given that May is Mental Health Awareness Month, that we are talking about this. And I want to give just some really grim statistics. Two out of five adults in this country report anxiety and depression. Two in five teens describe experiencing persistent sadness and hopelessness. And obviously, we think it's exacerbated by social media, bullying, and yes, gun violence. Drug overdose deaths are near record highs. And suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people. And as we look at national statistics, we know that in rural America, it's even worse. That's why it's so important that we're joined today by Alexa McKinley. 
Uh, she is the regulatory affairs manager at the National Rural Health Association. That association represents thousands of hospitals and uh, community health clinics across rural America. Thanks, Alexa, for joining us. Talk to us about what you're doing to combat this crisis. Yeah, well, first, thank you both for having me on today. Our work is almost never ending, as you can imagine, in rural health care, but in the mental health space specifically, there's programs that we support every year and a couple that are particularly important for rural areas. I'll point out one. I'm sure everyone's heard about the opioid crisis across the country, and it's affecting rural. That's no exception there. There's the Rural Communities Opioid Response Program, and we're asking for $165 million to support this program. I'm emphasizing core as we call it, because it's a unique program in that it's specifically for rural, which is incredibly important as we see a lack of addiction counselors, a lack of providers and access to medications for opioid use disorder or just anything to treat and prevent substance use and opioid use. And then another big package that's hopefully moving this year is the Farm Bill. And I can get a bit more into this, but there's a really critical program that addresses farmer mental health called the Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network that we're also advocating for slightly increased funding and also hopefully finding a permanent funding stream for that program. You know, so many people think that the secret to solving the mental health crisis in America, in rural America, is telehealth. What they don't realize is a lot of rural America doesn't have access to broadband, which creates even more infrastructure problems. But we've seen incredibly, you know, much higher rates. So suicide rates in communities has increased 48% between 2018 and 2020. That compares with 34% in urban areas. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges of workforce, not just, you know, getting money, but even if you can get the money, how are you going to get the workers? Yeah, that's a critical question because we can talk about all of the solutions to mental health, but at the end of the day, if there's no one there to provide the services and care needed, it doesn't matter. So in rural areas, we see a lack of psychiatrists, a lack of psychiatric nurse practitioners, a lack of psychologists, and 61% of all mental health professional shortage areas are in rural areas. So while there may be some workforce concerns nationwide across all provider types, it's really more acute in rural areas and especially for behavioral health providers. What do you think the answer is? What are you hearing as you're talking to people across uh, rural America? So I think there's a couple of ways that this can be addressed. So like you said, you need to recruit people to rural areas, and that could take um, things like loan repayment programs or scholarship programs to entice practitioners to go into practice in a rural area in exchange for these kind of financial incentives. So programs that work that way in the primary care space would be the National Health Service Corps, something like that for mental health, you know, to incentivize them to come there and stay there for a certain amount of time. Another approach are grow your own or pipeline programs. So again, in just kind of the health space in general, when we see med students move into residency and they do their residency in a rural area, they're more likely to stay there. We have uh, a medical school in at the University of North Dakota and about 10 years ago, they made a concerted effort to grow their own. And when you look at the numbers today compared to where they were 10 years ago of the number of people who are practicing in rural America, it's actually increased of their graduates. And so these programs can work. One of the other challenges, and we know that frequently 
there's a lot of self-medication with mental health challenges. A lot of self-medication happens. And by that, I mean a lot of drug and alcohol use, but yet such a deplorable lack of access to medically assisted treatment, which is so critical. How do we get rid of that stigma and actually get the newest developments in medical treatment for addiction in rural America? So I think we're getting and taking big steps to get there right now. So for example, in December, in the omnibus bill that passed, the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023, they removed the what's called X waiver or data waiver that requires practitioners who want to prescribe buprenorphine, which is medication-assisted treatment or medication for opioid use disorder. Um, They no longer have to go through this kind of burdensome process to be waivered to provide that medication to patients. So I think these federal steps take in to show that things like medication-assisted treatment are not bad. They're not stigmatized. They're evidence-based and they're proven to work. Those steps taken by the federal government sort of show the rest of the country and set a standard that this is what needs to be done and it's appropriate for patients. And there's nothing wrong with it because that attitude does still persevere in some communities. There's an interesting study I was reading out of Ohio, where some rural practitioners still believe that prescribing medications for opioid use disorder is just trading one substance for another. And the evidence and the science shows that that's just not true. We just need to take more steps um, federally, policy-wise, and also community-based education-wise to break down those kind of thought patterns and stereotypes. Alexa, I want to kind of turn to an issue that we have been dealing with as we see farm income increase and decrease, as we see more and more stress, especially for our small farmers. Um, I want to turn to the issue of farmer suicide because, you know, this issue hasn't gotten any better. What can you tell us about why we see higher rates of suicide among this population? And what, what do you think we can do about it? So I think you kind of already hit the nail on the head there. There's just some unique stressors that come along with farming that aren't really associated with other occupations that put an immense amount of stress and then exacerbate mental health concerns among farmers. So when you look at things like fluctuating commodity prices, these things are unpredictable and outside of the control of farmers, essentially. And then another kind of new stressor that I think wasn't as intense in the past as we're seeing now is weather-related concerns, right? So as we see more kind of intense climate-related weather changes, that's just going to put more stress on farmers. And when your bottom line or when your livelihood is directly related to how much you are physically producing and that's affected by weather, that's a huge financial stressor, which leads, again, to exacerbating those mental health concerns. One of the kinds of challenges that farmers have is, let's take a farmer who now a farm family that is living on a seventh generation farm. And they feel like they're failing not only in their business, they're not there, they're failing their family, but they're failing their ancestors. And so I want to make the point that that for so many of our farmers and our ranchers, that farm is more than just a business. That farm represents the lifeblood and the history of their family. And I think that adds a lot of stress when you think, okay, you're you're not only just failing in business, but you're failing your grandpa and your grandma and all the people who came before them. Yeah, that's absolutely right. They really think, I need to be self-reliant. I can trust myself. I don't need help from others. And that's kind of all tied up in the identity of a farmer. And then like you said, Senator, 
when you bring in the idea of failing past generations, it just, it creates a lot of mental health concerns. Alexa, what I've noticed on the farms here is that it's good times financially. I mean, it really is. They're making money. So that isn't a problem at all. What, what the problem seems to be is the stress of making that money. More acres per farm, for example, less help per farm. It isn't that they don't have a buck or two in their pocket. Yeah, definitely. There's just so many unique things that go into farming that I think then lead to significant mental health concerns that, you know, the rest of the population may not be able to relate to or experience in their lives. There's a lot of discussion in the last uh, couple of weeks about the debt limit and about cuts to, you know, spending. How much of uh, how much of what you're talking about, both the uh, additional revenue that you've received to deal with this problem and maybe enhancements, how much of that's jeopardized by um, this idea that you can unilaterally cut discretionary spending and still deliver necessary services? In terms of the debt ceiling, it's very concerning because all of these programs are important, right? We're advocating for increased funding for, let's say, specifically certain Farm Bill programs because the last time that the Farm Bill was reauthorized was five years ago. So those funding levels that were authorized are based on, you know, the environment five years ago. So when we talk about something like the Farm and Ranch Trust Assistance Network, $10 million may not cut it anymore for these grantees. They may need a little bit more because we're talking about inflation. We're just talking about more mental health concerns growing. So it's concerning to see the discretionary non-defense spending being cut because of the debt ceiling when these are things that, you know, some people's livelihoods, some people's lives really depend on. And, and one of the great ironies in all of this is the fact that we talk about investments, investments in the future. Guess what? When you look at where we see deaths of despair, it's in rural America. It's in ruby red rural America. And if we're going to stop that trend, we're going to have to figure out how we get services to that population, how we get uh, opportunities to that population. If this were all able to be done without any kind of um, governmental investment, it'd be done, right? So um, good luck to you, Alexa. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Hot Dish. Such an important issue. There isn't a farm family that I know, there isn't a family in rural America, including our own, that isn't touched by this mental health crisis. And so it's near and dear to our hearts and you keep up your advocacy. It's great to see you're out there working for the betterment of rural America, but saving lives with the work that you're doing. Yeah, you're very welcome. And thank you again for having me. This was a great opportunity um, and great to chat about rural health. Before we jump in with our next guest, I want to tell our listeners that it is not too late to join the Rural Progress Policy Summit. I want you to go to onecountryproject.com and register. It's free. We're going to be talking about healthcare, childcare, housing, and of course, the upcoming Farm Bill reauthorization. We're going to have great speakers lined up and you can join us for one or all of the sessions, whatever your time permits. And so it's worth your time. Next up, we're lucky to have Tara Haskins join us. Tara is a registered nurse of 35 years who grew up in rural northern Louisiana. Her accent may be different, but I bet you our life stories are about the same. She's been focused on mental health services for farmers and agricultural workers her whole career. 
Terry is currently the director of the Total Farm Health Initiative at AgriSafe. Thanks for calling the AgriStress Helpline. This is Sarah. It's a national nonprofit focused on agricultural health and safety. AgriSafe's mission is protecting the people who feed the world. AgriSafe's crisis line for farmers and farm families has been up and running for a year. It's currently in six states, and they're hoping to expand that nationally. Thank you, Tara, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me and giving us an opportunity to share about the AgriStress Helpline. The AgriStress Helpline, you correct, is in six states. We have been up and running now for over a year, just a few months over a year. The states that the AgriStress Helpline is in is Wyoming, Missouri, Texas, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. And this line is unique. There is no other line like that out there. We see this as a national model. We worked on this model for about two years before we actually launched the line. And we're really excited about what we have to offer the ag communities because we feel like they deserve good crisis care and direction to resources that they need. Tara, we just got done talking to Alexa McKinley, who is with the National Rural Health Association. And guess what? You're doing exactly what she was recommending and that she says what needs to happen from the perspective of the people who provide healthcare services across our rural America. She's saying, you've got the solution. Your answer is exactly what we need to do on the national level. If you look at kind of the metrics of what you're doing, can you tell us a little bit more about how you developed this plan, what the plan looks like, and what would it take to get it to a national level? So the model encompasses quality services of crisis intervention coupled with uh, evidence-based emotional support team taking those calls. The team that answers the calls have been trained in agriculture. AgriSafe provides that training for them both initially and ongoing on a quarterly basis. This line is a 24-7 line. Uh, It it can be answered in 160 languages through telephony translation services. It is call and text. Text is also 24-7. And soon, by the end of June, our text will be able to be answered in Spanish, Vietnamese, and French. So we feel like this is the highest level of services. If someone calls this line from the ag community, they will get crisis intervention, emergency services if they need it. But if they just need emotional support and want to look at what resources are out there to help them, we can provide that. It's a one-stop shop for everything they could need. And because it's so all-encompassing, we feel like this is a great national model. So we're working very closely with our partners to move that forward. Tara, when you look at this, one of the big, I mean, you put all this in place and great because Lord knows it's needed, but are they using it? Are they calling? And if they're calling, who is it? Is there an individual group that you're looking at? I mean, who's using it? That's a great question. Yes, we are getting calls and uh, those calls have ranged anywhere from an individual that is a producer that's having a hard time finding farm workers they're looking for that. We've had individuals call even outside the states that were in that uh, have the helpline on behalf of someone that lives in the state because they're concerned about their well-being. They're concerned about the stress that they're under. Does it ever happen to where it's a family member calling on behalf of another family member? Uh, meaning that, you know, let's just use an example. Uh, you've got a husband that's really struggling and he won't admit it. 
and a wife that calls in and says, look, I need help. Is that happening at all? Yes. We call those third-party calls, and absolutely that happens. That's sort of the nature of individuals in crisis. Many times a family or friend will reach out to find help. So uh, we are getting those types of calls, and we're able to help them as well. You know, I can tell you stories that I heard traveling across North Dakota, and it's great to have that emergency help. It's great to have somebody on the end of the line. We know that's critical. The problem is that a lot of times what happens is, oh, you know, you're, you're contemplating death by suicide or you're struggling and maybe that's created stress in the family and you feel like, you, you know, you haven't been, you're not safe in your own home. All of these problems, I can tell you that a lot of times people on the other end of the phone then try and get services and can't find anyone who can help them. I mean, I remember a case where a young man came into a counselor and said, I'm addicted to opioids. I need help. The counselor called around and it was 40 days before anyone would see him. There's got to be help on the other end. You're exactly right, Heidi. And we're right on board with you. We know that there is a huge deficit of mental health professionals in rural America. And we've got to fix that because intervening in a crisis is one thing but then connecting them to services is another. And we would love at AgriSafe to be able to multiply those providers, you know, but what we are doing, we have a training out there called Farm Response, and it trains healthcare professionals in these states to understand the stressors in ag. And so they're a little bit more prepared for those visits of individuals that might reach out to them. We're incredibly grateful. And, and obviously this podcast is nationwide. You want to go ahead and give us a number, Tara, that uh, you can be reached um, so that people, especially in the six areas, you're, the six states you're serving, but as you expand this to a national service, we can help you get the word out of where help for these critical healthcare problems is available. So the AgriStress helpline, again, is in Wyoming, Missouri, Texas, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, and that number is one 833 897-2474. And so if you are in those states and in need of help or need to talk to someone in an ag community, call the AgriStress helpline and there'll be a friend on the other end. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And, and I think it's critical that we get the word out that you're trying to take this national and that could help so many more people. And so thanks so much, Tara. Please, this is so important. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide or is in emotional distress, call 988. That's the National Crisis Healthline. Trained crisis workers are available to talk 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can get help. And if you're a farmer or agricultural worker, there are resources available to you at AgriSafe. Go to agrisafe.org. Again, thanks for listening to The Hot Dish. We'll be serving up many more great conversations and talking about the things that really matter to rural Americans. So stay tuned. We're going to see you in a couple of weeks. Hot Topica.